0: Morning. It's good to be here. Uh, it's been a while, and I, I'm glad to see that they're still adding Jump Rope for Hearts uh, banners. Ryan told me that this will be the last time I get to preach at the school because of the new building. That's exciting stuff. Uh, it is good to uh, be here. Good to see uh, familiar faces, and you know, it's actually even better to see new faces. So we are so excited to see what God is uh, doing here um, in Stillwater. Uh, Stillwater is is home for my wife and I. We moved here in '93, or I moved here in '93 and um, left five years ago to go to seminary. So it is good to be back um, in the promised land. Uh, today we're going to be in Romans chapter one. Um, last week uh, you guys started a series on the uh, solas of the Reformation. Um, Historically, the Protestant Reformation uh, kind of goes back to uh, the year 1517 when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the castle church door at Wittenberg. And since it's 2017, and that happened at the end of October. Uh, this is October, and by God's grace, there were five. Sundays in October. I mean, this is all providential. Five Sundays, 500 years, we're talking about the Reformation and looking at the doctrines that shaped the theology of the Reformation. Last week, Ryan uh, talked about uh, uh, sola scriptura, the idea that God's Word is authoritative. We believe that the Word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. I had to say that for an exam a few months ago. Um, but this week we're looking at sola fide, the idea that salvation is by uh, faith alone. Um, and it's this passage in Romans, especially Romans 1 verse 17, that, that impacted Martin Luther. Um, it, it many times... He hated this passage. It was a burden to him, but it also one day brought him liberation and set him free from the bondage of his sin and guilt. It is this verse that helps spark the Reformation. Let me pray for it, so we'll read our passage. Lord God, we are grateful that we have your word, and we can come to it today that your word is true. And it is for us, and it points us to who you are, your character, and the salvation that you have worked. Lord, help us to know your love for us. Overwhelm us with that love today. Open our hearts to hear from you and change us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Romans 1, beginning in verse 1 through 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God and power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son without ceasing. I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but this far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the Gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The grass withers, flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. For that we are grateful indeed. We're going to look at this passage under kind of three headings. Uh, the need for righteousness, the righteousness of God, and faith. The righteousness of faith. We just read that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. We need power, don't we? Do you know what it's like to be without power? Or more importantly, do you know what it's like to be without internet, right? I mean, that's in my house. The internet goes down. It, it, I mean, it's like we're in a third world country almost. Um, Paul says that the power of God, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And that. That is is such good news. And Martin Luther really knew the power of the gospel. He knew his need. He knew knew what it was like to uh, be under the righteousness of God in that crushing weight. He, he, He knew what it meant to be like Paul, the chief of sinners. He knew what it was like not to measure up. Martin Luther's life was, was uh, pretty difficult growing up. Um, his father was very demanding of him. His father always wanted to be a lawyer and to go to law school. And, and Luther's entire life, it seemed, revolved around pleasing his father, making his dad proud. He tried hard to do it, to at least please his father at something. And he kind of tried to do the same thing with God. He superimposed an image of his Father upon God. He tried to earn God's favor. He saw God as a God of wrath, of fiery vengeance. He had seen this stained glass window in a church of Jesus with fire behind it, in in judgment. And that's who he thought Jesus was. He felt like he could never please God. He felt like he could never even please his own Father. He could never please God, and he certainly couldn't please Jesus. And one day he was uh, nearly struck by lightning, and that put the fear of God into him a little bit more. He thought he was going to die. And shortly after that, two of his friends died untimely deaths. And so he was worried. He was desperate. He thought he had to do something to get God's favor. He was so desperate. He's like, I, I, God is so displeased with me. I, I guess I better enter the monastery. Maybe then I can earn God's favor. Surely I could find his favor. Surely he would find Uh, righteousness if he entered the monastery. And so he gave himself fully to being a monk. In fact, once he said, if any monk could have saved himself by his monkery, I could have. But yet I could find no peace of conscience. He would lay on the cold floor, prostrate down, just praying and, and hoping that God would see his devotion." Be pleased. He would do works of penance that would leave his body battered. He would spend hours and hours in confession. He would confess sin after sin after sin, and his, his confessors would tell him, you know, hey, go away. Come back when you have a real sin to confess. And he was in such despair. He knew what it was like to need righteousness. He knew what it was like. He, he, he's, he knew his sin. But he didn't know where to find righteousness. But it changed one day when he talked with a mentor, one of his confessors named Johann von Staupitz. He would uh, sometimes confess his sin to Staupitz. Imagine, six hours listening to Martin Luther confess sin after sin after sin. And Staupitz... Said to him, You know, why do you torment yourself? Why do you live in this anguish of your thoughts? Throw yourself into the Redeemer's arms. Trust his righteousness. Trust in the righteousness of his blood. Trust in the righteousness of his life. Throw yourself, cast yourself onto Jesus in the arms of the Redeemer. And it was there that Luther's life changed. It was there that he saw. Hope for his soul. He found a righteousness by faith alone. We need to ask, what is this righteousness that Paul found? What is Paul talking about when he mentions the righteousness of Christ here in Romans? The righteousness, the word righteous that's often used in the scriptures is a Greek word di- dikaiosune. And, and it's, it's used a lot in Paul's writings. And it seems when Paul uses this word for righteous in, in, in regard to people... Uh, uh, he, he, uses the, he, he describes people as either righteous or unrighteous. And it's, it's most often referring to, to how someone stands before God, to their legal standing before God. You're either righteous before God or you are unrighteous before God. It, 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 it's determining someone's fate before the judgment seat of Christ. If they are righteous, they will live. If they are unrighteous, they will die. It's this idea of a legal standing. So if you're righteous, you will be acquitted. If you are unrighteous, you will be condemned. That's that's how it is applied to people. But what does it mean when the Bible says that God is righteous? What do we understand about the righteousness of God? When God is, it it, it refers not to to, how he is, because he is righteous. Righteousness. It, it, it refers to the way he acts. It's his character. He always acts in righteousness. He acts perfectly in righteousness and justice. Abraham speaks of God and he said, you know, if God is going to judge, will he not judge rightly? God will judge right because he is righteous. Righteous. He will judge in a manner that fits with His character. Psalm 50 tells us that the heavens declare the righteousness of God, for God Himself is judge. So, what is the primary way that we see God's righteousness on display? What is proof that we have in the Scriptures that God is righteous? When He acts, He acts in a most holy, righteous way. Psalm 98 tells us this. It says, the Lord has made known His salvation. He's revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. How did the Lord reveal His righteousness? Psalm 98 says, He's revealed His salvation. It's through His salvation that we truly see the righteousness of God. God. It's the way he saved us. God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. God cannot tolerate sin. He can't just sweep sin under the rug and and say, oh, I'll be gracious and we'll just ignore this little sin problem that you have. He's a God of justice. And, you know, we think about the story of the Bible and and it starts out, God makes everything good and makes man to to find pleasure and life in God alone, right? And, And what does man do? Something crazy says, oh, no, 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 no. I will find life elsewhere. I will seek wisdom outside of you. And man man fell and rebelled against God. And as a result, sin and brokenness entered the world. Humanity is alienated from God. Humanity is alienated from one another. And humanity is alienated from all of creation. It's a mess. But what does God do? God enters into that brokenness, doesn't he? He pursues Adam and Eve in the garden. He goes after them. He's not going to let them. No. And what does he do? He promises to deal with their brokenness. He pursues them in brokenness, and he says, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to send a redeemer. I'm going to bring salvation. And the rest of Scripture is this unfolding, and we're looking for this one. Who is this one who is going to come and crush the head of the serpent? Who is the one who is going to bring salvation for us? And and you're just looking and looking, and you know it's a big deal. I mean, the whole Old Testament. If you want to enter into God's presence, it's through death and blood. And it shows us the the seriousness of sin. It shows us the righteousness of God. Where do we find? How is God going to save his people? How is he going to, to bring salvation and yet remain true to his righteousness, his justice? The good news is that Christ has come. And in this letter, later, Paul will say that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He brings salvation. He goes to the cross and he pays the penalty for our sin. He was forsaken by God so that you wouldn't be forsaken. Paid the penalty for our sin and we get credit for his life. His righteousness. This is how God shows His righteousness. This is how righteousness is revealed. It's in salvation. The way He saved us, it speaks of His righteousness. One commentator said, uh, to be true to Scripture, one must only speak of God as righteous, must only say God is righteous, and must only say of human beings if they are righteous it is only because they have been declared righteous by the righteousness of Christ. If we are righteous, it is only because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. And so here's the deal. We are declared righteous. God is righteous. You know, it's interesting because I think we often say, you know, I'm righteous because of what I've done. That's right? the way I lived most of my life Life. I remember coming to um, college at Oklahoma State in 93, and uh, a man named Doug Servant was my Bible study leader. He's a pastor down at City Pres now. And uh, we had this idea that you know, we were better than everybody else. We memorized scripture. We played a game called Killer Scripture Memory, where if you didn't have your verse memorized, we'd tear up your card and throw it in the trash. You had to write it again. I mean, we were, you know, and we thought God loved us because we were doing this stuff. You know, we, uh, we, we, like, we had a Bible study. We called it the Iron Man Bible study, right? And we were just better than everybody else. That's what we thought. And we thought, you know, God loves us. I mean, look at, look at us. Look at how awesome we are. We're reading our Bible not just once a year. We're reading it twice a year. Surely God's pleased with that, right? I mean, surely he'll see this righteousness. No, if you are righteous, it's because you've been made or declared righteous because of Christ. Paul says that righteousness is by faith alone. How do we get this righteousness? The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Righteousness is by faith. It's always been by faith. From the very beginning, it was by faith. Genesis 15:6. Abram believed the Lord, had faith in the promises of God, to do what he said, to bring a Redeemer. Abraham, believe God. God, you are faithful to your promises. I believe that. And it was credited to him as righteousness. God declared Abraham righteous because he trusted him to be faithful to his promise. Here's, here's another definition. Uh, John Calvin, definition of faith. Since we're talking about the Reformation, might as well throw some reformers in there. Um, Calvin says that Saving faith is a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence to us. Founded upon the freely given promise in Jesus Christ revealed to the mind concealed to the heart by the Holy Spirit. This is faith. Faith is is looking to Christ. It is trusting in Christ and Christ alone. The doctrine of justification by faith. It is a powerful doctrine. By faith alone. It is a the, it is, the gospel is good news. It is a powerful good news. It's the power of God. See, the gospel is, 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 is not just good advice, right? We say, no, it's good news. It's something that actually happened. It's a historical fact. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Those are historical facts. And they change everything. The gospel satisfies the deepest longing of your heart to find righteousness. The Gospel satisfies that longing that you have to be reconciled to God. It's what makes you right with God. It's very powerful. Listen, you have God's favor. Verse 7 of chapter 1. To all those in Rome who are loved by God, To all those in Rome, Rome, the imperial, I mean, Rome, wow, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, this will change your life if you know that God is for you, that God loves you change your life. Remember, again, who is writing these words in Romans? Paul, enemy number one of the church. His whole entire life, he felt like, I am glorifying God. I am doing righteousness by killing Christians. Paul. And yet Paul, the chief, the one who calls himself a chief of sinners, the persecutor of the church, knows that God loves him. That's power. Gospel has the power to change lives. How can God love us? There is a righteousness that comes from God, and it is in Jesus. You see, every other religion teaches what: in order to be right with God, you have to earn it. You have to do things. You have to live a right way. You have to 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 to, to earn the favor. Of a god, It requires you to live a righteous life. If you live a certain way and you obey all the rules of the religion, then you can earn favor. Every religion says it's up to you. It's up to you to produce a righteousness, to produce a righteous life and give it to God. And the gospel is completely different. It says you do have to live a righteous life. You do have to live a righteous life. But you don't do it. You don't produce a righteous life and give it to God in hopes that you will earn his favor. Jesus produced the righteous life and gives it to you. Romans 17 says there's a righteousness that goes from God and it comes to us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the one. He lived the perfect life for you. It's important we get that. Because in the church we often say, yeah, I'm a Christian because Jesus died for my sins. And that's very true, and that's great news, right? I mean, Jesus died for my sins. That's amazing. Jesus did die for your sins. He takes all of your sins upon himself. And he suffered for our sin. He suffered in our place. He was forsaken by God so that you wouldn't be forsaken. That is an amazing news. That is good news of great joy. But that's not the whole story. You see, Jesus lived. I mean, if he just came to die, then why did he live so long? Why didn't he just get it over with? No, he lived to live for you. He lived a life you couldn't live, a life of righteousness, a life of perfect obedience, a life of perfect righteousness, so that not only are your sins laid upon him, but his perfection, his beauty is given to you, so that our Father loves us like he loves his Son, we are the recipients of the love of God. You know what that means? That is good news. That is amazing news. It's like basketball. You know, in basketball, you know, they, they keep a record of, of everything, right? Um, how many points you score, how many assists you have, how many rebounds, how many fouls you have, right? Um, so um, can you imagine, you're, you're playing a game, and you, you, you're having a really, really bad game. You're missing every single shot. Um, and, and by the end of the first quarter, you've fouled out of the game. And after the game, you go over to the scorekeeper, and you're like, hey, you know my parents weren't here. You mind just kind of erasing my record for this game so I can go home and you know, show it to my parents? And then you go home. Well, what are you going to go home and show your parents? A blank slate, right? There's nothing there. That's kind of how we see the gospel. There's nothing there. We think Christianity is just a clean slate, but that's not Christianity. You do have a clean slate, but you also have a full slate, a slate that's filled with all the righteous deeds of Jesus for which you get credit. Somebody writes in the basketball score, the little book that you got a triple-double, that you made 10 for 10 from the free-throw line. You made the winning shot at the end of the game. You get credit for what Jesus did. Paul elsewhere says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. You know what that means? That means you have God's favor. You can lay your head down on your pillow at night and know that no matter how crappy your day was, God loves you. And he has a smile on his face because you are his child. You are his beloved child. Do you know that good news? Guys, there is hope for the hopeless. I have a friend in Shawnee who leads a Bible study in the jail every Sunday afternoon. And over and over he encounters people who say, I can never be a Christian. You don't know what I've done. I I can never measure up. I could never be good enough. And you know they're right. They will never be good enough. They will never be good enough. That's why they need Jesus, because he was good enough. The gospel gives hope to the hopeless. gospel also gives hope to the weary churchgoer, the weary mom and dad who are trying to make their kids perfect, the weary mom and dad who are trying to make their marriage perfect, Make their yard perfect. Make their appearance perfect. The person who's saying, I'm trying to be a Christian. The Gospel comes in and it says, stop it! (laughs) Stop trying! Believe the Gospel. Rest in it. That's the Gospel. Do you know the good news of Jesus? Do you know the power of the Gospel? In a moment, we're going to celebrate The feast of the Lord, the feast of his victory. And it's great, we come forward to do that here. And I love that picture because what do we come forward with? We don't bring anything. We come with empty hands, beggars, looking for bread. And we are fed and our faith is strengthened and nurtured. Do you believe that God loves you like he loves Jesus? Do you believe the power of the gospel to change a proud and stubborn heart I do. I know what it's like to be welcome to the table. I know the power of the Gospel because it's changing me. Close with this. Jesus, I am resting, resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving heart. That's the faith that changed Luther. That's what we mean by saying we are justified by faith alone. That, brothers and sisters, in saving faith. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the reality of the Gospel, that it is indeed good news, not just good advice. That Jesus came and lived for us and died for us. We ask that You would transform our hearts and our lives by that reality. We thank You that the Gospel is powerful Help us to know that we are your beloved children because of what Christ has done. Help us to believe that good news. Help us to rest in Christ and in Christ alone, we pray in his name. Amen.